Thank you for choosing to listen to number episode number 14 of Kansas City Food Memories, where we take you on a stroll down memory lane and reflect back on some of our best memories and stories of restaurants from the 1980s and 90s. This week, which is our three-month anniversary of the first show, I decided to bring back Jim Eddy, our most popular show thus far, where we actually had an interesting call from Mer- the legendary Marilyn May. So I wanted to finish telling some of the stories from Jim, and we've got some great new material. But please remember that this is a taped presentation of a live radio show. So do not call or text in when prompted. Sit back, enjoy, and let me know what else you want to hear. Thank you. Well, good morning, Kansas City, and welcome to this week's episode number 14 of Save Food Memories, which is brought to you by Best Regards Bakery and Cafe. I'm going to have to get used to stating who the sponsor is because I think we're going to start getting sponsors for the show in the next few weeks. Really? Yeah. Well, that's good. Now that looks like the show might work out and there might be a few people interested in hearing it. I think mm-hmm. we'll keep it around. But Kansas City Food Memories, this is the three-month anniversary of us starting the show. And no, it's of um, you starting the show. Yeah, well, no, I couldn't have done this without you, Toby. Mm. Good, bad, and indifferent. I couldn't do it without you. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's your show. I'm going to be nice to you. Oh, are you? Okay. Yeah. Is that how? Well, My show, I can be mean. Well, well, you're inferring that means I have to start being nice to you on your show. Yeah. Well, that's not fair. Yours is a four-hour show. Well, you only have to be nice for an hour here. I know. That's all, right. all I well, could be okay. nice. Okay. Well, we'll negotiate this. Yeah. We'll negotiate this <laughs> week over fried chicken. How's that? Sounds are, good. Are we, are we going to RC's? Are we finally going to get our fried chicken meal yes. this week? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, for the listeners, so Best Regards, or I'm sorry, Can't Say Food Memories, brought to you by Best Regards. It's where we take you on a stroll down memory lane and reflect on some of our favorite restaurants from the 1980s and 90s. We share stories, and the amazing, magical thing that's happened is when you hear somebody else's story, it triggers three or four memories of your own. And we've come a long ways in the last three months, you know, with the different guests, a lot of different formats. And it's just today's episode is is this the very first time that I brought a repeat guest in, and yes. I and yep, um, and he deserves to oh, be oh absolutely Big the time. the show uh, today's guest is Jim Eddy, the legendary Jim Eddy. But I got to tell you, I, I could do this show for twenty years, and that show when you were here will still be the highlight of my radio career. I mean that was that was just magical. Would you? Did anybody tell you say anything to you about the show? I'm getting comments. Had no idea how many people listened to your show, KMBZ for that matter, Tony's show. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, you very well uh, thought of and very much listened to by so so many people. It's it's amazing. Uh, I had a great week this week. Ate in some great new restaurants. And several of them I was in, somehow, they would knew who I was from the restaurant industry. So we heard you on the radio. And it oh. you know, really makes you feel good. I even had a lady at church last week say, I heard you. I heard you on the radio. <laughs> well, good. Well, you know, we do this show, and I have no idea how many people are listening. I get a few people coming into the restaurant and the bakery, you know, to tell me what it means to them and what they mm-hmm. hear. So. It's, it's reassuring to know that there's some people out there listening. Nothing like a great memory. Mm. Oh, no, there, there really isn't. And so that's what we do here is we try to shell, uh, share stories of our favorite restaurants. And, and what, what happens is that it's not just the restaurant, but, you know, when you have a meal there, sometimes it's a service. But when that memory comes back, you remember who you ate with. 
you sometimes you remember where in the dining room you sat, what it looked like, the memories and the stories that that come with it. And one thing, it's it's one thread leads to another, sure. leads to another. Well, I got a new favorite one. My buddy Jim Vader took me yesterday and said, "Let's go to lunch." And he's from Kansas City, Kansas originally. Dotland, he calls it. Anyway, he takes me to a little joint on Fifth Street on Strawberry Hill called Breitz, B-R-E-I-T-S. This place has been there for 70 or 80 years, I'm sure. Hole in the wall, best food you've ever had. Their Reuben sandwich reminded me of our days of making Reuben's back, the Lofenstein days. It was a fabulous sandwich and an ice cold beer, and I can't wait to go back. What a what a great restaurant! And you said Brights B R E I T S, I believe. It's on I have never heard of them. Strawberry oh, yeah, Hill, been there for a million years. I will in Kansas City, Kansas, on Fifth Street. I will go there specifically I, because you just said yeah, that. I do that today. You, it was terrific. Well, not today. I'm kind of busy today, <laughs> but and no, we'll I, do that. I got a, another big deal tonight. I'm going to have to attend my cousin Bobby Eddy. He's 50 years in show business, and he's the star. Argosy tonight at 9 o'clock, the main room at the Argosy Casino, and celebrating 50 years in show business. Wow. I tell you, what a week it's been. This is your cousin? My cousin, Bobby Eddie. Wow. Yeah. Cool. His dad and my dad were brothers. They started our, and the third brother, George, George, Sam, and Ned Eddie started us in this crazy business in 1939, 1940, when they opened the Plaza Bowl on the Plaza, Country Club Plaza. Right. Well, uh, folks, listeners, you're about to understand why I'm bringing Jim back for uh, another whole show. He's got a lot of good stories. We're going to go ahead and open up the phone lines, but specifically if you have questions or experience you want to share that involved either Eddie's Lofenstein or if you've run into Jim and want to share a story, ask him a question. Our phone number is 913-586-7798. It's the same number. I you don't know, listen Toby to me, do you? No, this is my show. We uh, do things uh, quick. A little slower, I've please. only got one hour to do what you do uh-huh. in four, so uh-huh. we're going to pick up the pace a little. Uh-huh. 913-586-7798. That's the same phone number that uh, we've all the stations on KMZ has. It's the same phone number for Toby. So put it in your program it into your phone so that you can call in or text in. Just label it KMBZ 913-586-7798. You're it's, getting a little better. Yeah. So um, if if you want to, if you have a question for Jim or something like that, you can call in. You can also text in if you're too shy to talk on the radio. Uh, we'll be able to do that one. Coming up the next couple weeks, uh, just so you give you a heads up, we're going to have Eric Sweeney to share stories about the Eric Sweeney. Okay. Um, he started working for um, Hayward Spears when he was seven years old, loading the firebox. Good grief. And so he's he's got all kinds of stories about Hayward Spears. You know, Hayward's Barbecue. Mm-hmm. I decided we want to pursue this when your brother Mark was here. Yeah. Because we've had so many people. I always ask them, you know, people in the food industry, where it was the first barbecue place that made a lasting impression on you. And Hayward's has come up more often than any other restaurant. Yeah. And that's because of Hayward Spears. Yep. So we want to hear stories about him. We'll be doing a specific show on Antoine's on the Boulevard. So we'll be doing a show on that one. And then in about three, four, or five weeks, I haven't heard back yet, we're going to ha- do a show specifically on pork tenderloins. So what we're going to, I'm going to have two guests on that have done the research and tried every pork tenderloin within a 50 mile radius of Kansas City. Hmm. And so that if you call in with your favorite 
pork tenderloin from the 80s and 90s, they can tell you if there's anybody in the area that makes something close to it. So that'll be a fun one. We'll be doing you that. You bet. And then the last part of um, housekeeping is that if you want to keep informed on what's going on with the show, on what happened last week or what we're looking for, because I need your help to find some of these people, is uh, go to makethemsmile.com. That's the website for my bakery, best regards. You can sign up for the email newsletter. If you had signed up last week, you would have gotten a $5 off coupon to best regards. So there's always added bonuses on that. But sign up for that because we're looking for some people that know the family from Oh, gosh, where are some of the rest? Gold's Buffet, you know, a lot, lot of places like that. We're looking for some of the people that created these legendary um, restaurants because I want to hear the stories. So make sure you do that. Go to makethemsmile.com. You can sign up there. All right, Jim, so let's start off real quick. So your family, just, just a couple minutes on your dad, your uncles, they were involved in the food business before you. Way before. And tell real quickly, tell the story about the bowling alley. Well, J.C. Nichols Company wanted a bowling alley on the plaza, and they came to the three brothers and said, we'd like for you all to entertain doing this. And they said, well, how quick? They said, right away. They didn't sign a lease. They built, J.C. Nichols built the building for them. They didn't sign a lease until after the plaza bowl was opened, and that's in the days when a handshake, your word was your bond. You didn't need all the... Lawyers and contracts you have to have today. But anyway, it was a tremendous success. And the government, uh, during the World War, when World War II broke out in 41, bowling alleys, if there was a war plant in the city that the bowling alley was in, you were decreed by the government to be essential to the war industry, and you stayed open 24 hours a day because the different shifts at the war plants 11 o'clock at night was like sure. 5 o'clock, and they leagues were bowling all night long. The place was an absolute, if I may say this, gold mine because of the war, because it had to stay open 24 hours a day, and it was packed 24 hours a day of people bowling. And the restaurant and cocktail lounge there were open 24 yeah. hours a day, and that's how they got in the restaurant business. Very successful place. And after the war, a fellow named Herb Duncan wanted to buy it out, and they offered him a fabulous price. And uh, they said, okay, and then he finally sold out to King Louis. Yeah. And that's where King Louis really got going. But well, You know, you mentioned that when you were on the first time, and I had a lot of people that, that, that came into the bakery or called in had no, had never heard that story before. Yeah. Had you, Toby? No, not at all. I and mean, it, that you know, being a national resource, I mean, I, I understand <laughs> it. It makes sense, but that's that's a cool way to get started. Well, it was it was an amazing I, – I was just a little kid, but I used to go down there, my brother and I, and we had more fun yeah. down just watching people bowl. It was on two levels. There were 16 lanes on the first level and 16 on the lower level, and it was totally air-conditioned, which was an amazing thing in, the, in those days, and they had a big flat – flag out in front refrigerated that's what all in the movie theaters would have flags out so that was before your time right or yeah. did oh yeah did i was you ever... just like three or four years old okay. in those days do you remember what it looked like and being there oh i absolutely i can describe the the interior totally uh all right so after they did that where did the when did the eddie's lounge come into okay come downtown into play? uh so it's 1945 now and they all three retired three brothers Dad leased the airport 
restaurant at the Fairfax Airport. And he was down there for three years and ran that. And we used to have fun going up in the tower. He'd send us up there in the tower. And the guys up there would let us, my brother and I, hang out up there. And we had a great time. But they planned to do 13th in Baltimore. And Nichols Company wanted to do the supper club on the plaza where the Plaza 3 was. Today, it's now Seasons 52 or whatever is over there now. But anyway, uh, or some other restaurant. The... At the, in those days, there was a sunken beer garden down there, and they wanted to break the guy's lease and move him somewhere else on the plaza, and he wouldn't, absolutely wouldn't move. So they had one piece of property in downtown Kansas City at 13th and Baltimore, the Nichols Company did. They said, let's move you down there. And so we wound up down there, 13th and Baltimore. Uh, we were there for 17 years till downtown took a hiatus for 40 right. years. Downtown was dead. All right. Okay. So, Jim, before we get to the part where um, you know, your whole family is involved in the food and entertainment business, mm-hmm. and then you decide to go on your own to do something totally different with Eddie's Loafenstein, mm-hmm. before we go to that, I think we have a, a caller. Okay. Couple callers. Couple callers. Jim, good morning. Welcome to Kansas City Food Memories. Yeah. Hello. This is Jim. Yeah, Jim. Yes. I have a question for uh, Jim Eddie. Yes, sir. Uh, of all the restaurants that they've had in the city, which one did he enjoy the most? And what kind of entertainment did they have at 12th and Baltimore? We had all the name acts, everyone but the level of Sinatra. The room only seated 300. You couldn't afford to pay Frank. But he was there as a guest many times when he was appearing in the city. Uh, I would have to say the most fun I ever had was at 13th and Baltimore, the eight years that I got to spend down there, uh, it was just exciting, white glove service, name entertainment, Tony DePardo, all the different acts, big name acts. It was it was great fun. The Loafensteins were fun. Uh, a lot of fun there. Popeyes, 28 years of Popeyes. Well, great, you're getting ahead. Time. Don't give away the last part of the show. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I'd have to say 13th and Baltimore was great. I have one other quick question. Uh, <clears throat> where is Brits that you mentioned on Strawberry Hill? It's uh, on, on <clears throat> Fifth Street. I can't okay. give you the exact address, but uh, my friend Jim Vader took me there, and he's been going there for years. And he took me all over Kansas City, Kansas, gave me a a great tour and brought back many, many memories of Kansas City, Kansas. And Carol Marinovich, the mayor that made Kansas City, Kansas, and Wyandotte County what it is. I don't think she ever got enough credit. The legends, the Speedway, all of the things that are over there, that I, un, under her watch, and she she put that place on the map. My goal is to bring her on the show. I hope you do. I would love to shake her hand. I, I, could I met her your, one time, and she's right. marvelous. Uh, she's on my list of uh, top five people to bring in on the show. Oh, absolutely. Well, Jim, Jim, thank you for calling in with that, those questions. Bye. So on yeah. – on, on Brits, I will give an update on who they are, where they're located okay. on next week's show. Okay. We need to talk with Don. All right, thanks, Jim. Okay. All right. Bye. Don, good morning. Welcome to KMEZ. Well, good morning. Hey, brother, it's so great to hear you on the radio show. Oh, my gosh. I just am so excited That's that you're funny. sharing all the wonderful stories 
about the family and the restaurant and everything. So I just had to chime in and say, hello, go brother. You, <laughs> this is my sister, and she lives in Palm Desert, California. That's where she's calling from. She listens to this show out there every week. How you like yes, that? Yes, I do. That is amazing. <laughs> yes, I do. Hey. Well, I tell you, it is so exciting to hear Jim share some of the stories about the family, the business, and so forth. I, too, have some fond memories of it, although I was several years younger and didn't get to work in the club. But it was just phenomenal growing up in an atmosphere like that, meeting all the celebrities, having them for dinner on Sunday night, and just hanging out with them. It was amazing. Do you have a good story about Jim that make him blush? <laughs> oh, yeah. I have lots of stories well, that could make him blush. Just give me blush, one good but- one. Well, one of the best ones is, and it's actually a compliment, my brother has a phenomenal memory, and any entertainer that was a comedian or would tell jokes or share stories, he was able to capture. And to this day, he can tell you some of the jokes that Chucky Green would use and many of the other entertainers. I was always awed by that fact because I could barely remember anything. <laughs> but <laughs> he really has a phenomenal memory, and he could probably start rattling off jokes for you right now. Well, that well, I got a question for both of you. That when you mentioned Frank Sinatra coming in as a guest, mm-hmm. um, did did any of the other of the Rat Pack ever come in, or was it just him? No, uh, let me think for a minute. Whenever he did a show which wasn't too often in Kansas City at the right. Music Hall or uh, one of the different places in those days. Uh, they'd always come in for the Our Late Show and have, yeah. have dinner. Uh, what was he like? I, I really didn't, couldn't touch him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was very polite. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, all those, the bigger they were, the nicer they were. We, yeah. We found out in the business. Uh, most of them uh-huh. were just ladies and gentlemen, wonderful people. It's, they were. What's amazing is some of these people, legends like that, when you just meet them, you can just tell. You, oh, yeah. You the, can the tell energy, whether, they, whether they get away, leave yeah. me alone, or you want an autograph, let me yeah. sign it for you. How many do you want? You know, the people that work to their audience. Yeah. Because if you don't, people pick that up in a few years, you'll be gone. Whereas just some people, you can tell they treat you kindly, mm-hmm. even when there's no cameras yes. or microphones around. Yeah. That That's what tell you. The, the I'm like that, you know. We'll let that one go. <laughs> <laughs> no, you Toby uh, is. <laughs> can I can I ask Jim a question? Absolutely. Jim, can you share with them the story about Barbara Streisand? Uh, I don't want to bumble it, but I do remember that we she really wanted to play Thirteenth in Baltimore, but there was a glitch as to why she did not come to play. Do you recall that incident? I'll never forget it. I don't know if I can tell it on the air though. <laughs> Well, statute oh, limitations okay. is passed. Well, well, cleanse it a little bit, because I know what you're going to say. <laughs> oh, no. All right. Uh, go for it. Real quickly, uh, associate, I think it was ABC. There were three booking agencies, William Morris Associated Booking and MCA. Well, anyway, she was, I think, was associated out of Chicago, and they sent the uh, pre her early pictures to Uncle George, who booked the entertainment at the place. He said, George, we're going to make a star out of this woman. She's got a voice. She sings, and I remember his, sings like a boy. 
he'd they they would tell my uncle and they sent these pictures and quite honestly Barbara you're great okay but your early publicity pictures were horrible <laughs> it, and uncle george said I can't book her she'll run everyone out of here she's just not very pretty I'm cleaning that up anyway uh and she wasn't uh, and she's very pretty now okay so don't get mad at me Barbara wherever you are uh he said, George, you can have her for seven fifty a week right now for two weeks. Next year she'll come back at twelve hundred a week for two weeks. And the third year we'll have her at fifteen hundred a week and with the option to buy out of it and she'd probably pay you a half million bucks by the third year to get out of their contract because she'll be that big of a star. He said, Sorry, for the first two weeks, if I booked her in here, she'd run everyone out of here. She's just not that pretty. She sings like crazy. She's wonderful. We're going to make a big star out of her. And that was the one strikeout that the Eddie brothers made, and they hit a lot of home runs. We had many of the big singing stars and comedians when they were at their zenith. Kansas City was a place that they all wanted to play. It was the heart of America, very conservative audiences. And so Eddie's was a place that they wanted to make sure if they could make it here, they could make it anywhere. I know they say that about New York, but the entertainers used to say, if we can be a success in Kansas City, we can be a success anywhere. And that's why a lot of the agencies wanted to book the big acts into the place down there at 13th and Baltimore for that reason. But my uncle wouldn't go for her. Oh, I'm sure he relived the horror of that bad decision forever. Oh, let him relive it. She turned oh, out to be the biggest singing star in the world. Oh, my gosh. Uh-huh. Well, every small business owner can look back and think of a really dumb decision that they made early on yeah. that, that, they, that they missed out on. That's, but that's, I don't know if anybody has one bigger than that. Uh, there's a lot of stuff over the years. Well, good. Yeah. Well, Don, thank you very much for calling in, and thank you for listening as you're halfway across the country. Well, I have to thank one person for this, Dan Krause, who listens to you every sure. week, called me when he heard uh, some of your guests mentioning Eddie's at 13th and Baltimore. So he immediately texted me, oh, several weeks ago, and said, you've got to listen to this, you've got to listen to this, so... I indeed did, and then I contacted Jim, and, of course, he knew everything about it because he's been listening for quite a while. So now you've got me as one of your followers, and thank you so much for sharing all these wonderful stories about the restaurants in Kansas City because I really do miss them sometimes. Oh, Well, thank you. I appreciate the kind words, and next time I see Dan, I'll thank him. He's been a client of ours for over 20 years. Oh, my goodness. Well, no wonder he was so familiar with the show. Yeah. Well, it's a pleasure visiting with you today. And, Jim, take care, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, Love you. Love you, too. Bye-bye. You didn't know she was calling either, did you? Had no idea. Big surprise. Well, Toby, isn't it fun watching his reactions when a call comes in? Yes. I mean, when Marilyn May called in a month ago, that was was something to see. Yes. Not, Not know what's going on. All right, uh, right, Jim, so we're uh, up to speed, uh, your dad, the lounge, and so you decided to do Eddie's Lofenstein. Why did you pick that theme for a restaurant? Well, we were looking for something to do after 13th and Baltimore closed, and uh, so the three brothers split amicably. Uncle Sam went into the real estate. He was with us for a while, but he went in the real estate business finally, and Uncle George and his sons 
took over the operations at the Prom Sheraton Hotel down at 6th and Main. And that was very successful. They had the Chateau Leboeuf and the mm-hmm. fabulous place. Anyway, when the new airport opened in 72, all of the hotels downtown died because all the traffic was now moved up north. Well, anyway, we decided to get in the sandwich business and uh, came up with the idea, Eddie's Lofenstein. And, uh, How many locations did you have We had at se- its peak? 17 of them, finally. Really? And uh, they were all over the city, all the shopping centers. And, mm-hmm. uh, what were you famous of, for? I think a couple of things. The Rubens were phenomenal, and the pastrami sandwiches were... And Dad worked with Bob Boyle, Boyle's Beef, and uh, Corn Beef Company, and we finally became distributors because we had enough locations, so that put us in a better price position. So the boys would deliver everything to our commissary, which was down at the old airport. They, we bought the TWA building when they moved up to their kitchen when they moved up to KCI. But it uh, developed the pastrami, the corned beef, and their a brisket called Cooked and Smoked. And they did all of that at the Boyle's factory. Mm-hmm. To our specifications and had them cryovacked each of the briskets with our name and their name on it. And they were in 40-pound cases, each each of the types of meat. And we would have literally hundreds of the cases at a time in our walk-ins, and we delivered to our restaurants. And Boyle's now is kind of out of business. But they're... In the days, Bob Boyle, what a company he had. Mm-hmm. Oh, they were just a tremendous meat company. And so that drove the, the meat part of the business. Yeah. And then um, you remember, Toby, you guys were talking about the onion buns, oh, how yeah. amazing they were? They came from New York Bakery. Yeah, I met the son. He came in about a week ago. I said, all right. I said, Toby, and is harassing me about doing this. What was so special? And he goes, oh, nothing special. He goes, it was just a brioche bread with a bunch of onions on it. It Their onion buns were... And Manuel's son delivered to our commissary every day fresh onion buns. Mm. Oh, they were just unbelievable. I've never had one since. And uh, just, you know, all those kind of, they're all gone. It's amazing. All right. So you decided to get out of that business, the interest rates. In 1981. That was a horrible time for anybody to be in business. I'll tell you what. 21%. Twenty-one percent. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, it, we wanted we all the shopping centers we were in were basically closed. I mean, right. everyone was going bankrupt. Okay, everyone. so I remember last time you said that you guys got out of that, and how one door closed, another one opens. Mm-hmm. That Jack Stedman approached you. Yeah, he called us up, and he said, "Would you be interested in taking over everything but the concessions at Arrowhead?" And we said, well, let me think. Yes. This <laughs> is real quick. So that meant what, the Arrowhead Club? Arrowhead Club. Special the, events. Special events, the ballroom. The team? Did restaurant. you feed the team too? Or is oh, that separate? Often, yeah, quite often, yes. What was that like? Drop the food off. Yeah, like the Arrowhead Club. What, what, oh, what was the that? Arrowhead Club was they had memberships, and uh, uh, it was beautiful. And we marketed it all year long for weddings and banquets and sales meetings, conventions. Could seat uh, 400 people in the club, and then they had the 
coach's corner and the quarterback corner, we had little restaurants down on the first yeah. level. But commanding view, 50-yard line views of, uh, oh, it's, of I've, the I've, I've seen the Arrowhead yeah. Club. It's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Well, it, it was 14 years of tremendous fun in the 81 suites and the press club, visiting owner's suite, the uh, Lamar's that his 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 suite and had all the I think a hundred seats out there that for his guests, but that was a four bedroom two story home and yeah when Lamar and Norma were in town that's where they stayed. He was an amazing man, wasn't oh, he? He's the sweetest. If, if he were fella. still around, I have no doubt he, that he would do the show here with me. Oh, because he loved you, Kansas you, City. You, let me I, tell you, he he was. The nicest fella, and I'll never forget, I'll never, it shows you, the first night we operated there was the <clears throat> Kansas City Chiefs, St. Louis Cardinals preseason game. They called it the Governor's Cup back and forth every year. One year here, one year in St. Louis. So at the close of the first evening, I'm downstairs in the little quarterback corner restaurant, and Lamar Hunt, comes into the restaurant and he's got a pad and a pencil and he came up to me and he said, Jim, he said, uh, how many covers did you have tonight? Now here is at that time, one of the richest men in the world, our landlord. And he wants to know how many people we fed in the restaurant that night. He's keeping track of that kind of stuff. That's probably why he was so successful. He knew what was going on. And I'll never forget that as long as I live. The way he kept track of things, he was he was one of the kindest individuals. Oh. So I met him, um, gosh, probably two thousand one, two thousand two. I think um, there's an event called the Entrepreneurs Exchange. Mm-hmm. It was um, some local business titans decided that Fortune five hundred companies weren't going to move to Kansas City, so they wanted to help create them here. And so Neil Patterson had an event at his house the first time, uh, the mm-hmm. the very first uh, time of the event. And it's um so they had these masters all around. So you had Jim Stowers, you had James Dunn, um, you had uh, Neil Patterson, uh, Barnett Hellsberg. You just had these people different areas. And Lamar Hunt was down by the fire pit, and uh-huh. the whole premise they only had two hundred people that they only sold two hundred tickets. And I bought one, you know, because mm-hmm. I wanted to go see. You know, I wanted to meet these people. And so there was a time that it was Lamar Hunt and I were the only two by the fire pit. Is that right? And I remember talking to him. So I asked him once, I said, what was the best promotion that you ever did that made a difference in the early days? And he said that, well, he goes, he goes, that's actually pretty easy. He said, in the early days, you couldn't give tickets away. You know, it was hard. You had to get attention, uh, get people's attention. So he said, you know, barbers are, are, are at a critical point part of getting the word out because when you sit at your barber shop, you're sitting there. You got to listen to him for the next 15 minutes. <laughs> so we had a promotion. He said barbers get in free to the Chiefs game, you know, at the old stadium. And he said he said there were probably more butchers that came in that wore their smocks. <laughs> he said, but that was the turning point for for the Chiefs. Uh, he said they brought in all those people, and all of a sudden there was like several hundred people telling stories about how good of a product the Kansas City Chiefs had. I tell you what. All right, so um, uh, we're going to take a couple of calls. And so then um, when we come back, I want you to tell the story of what you did after um, after Arrowhead Club, the, okay. the first franchise that you did. Okay. That's kind of a fun one. And good morning. Welcome to Kansas City Food Memories. Memories. Ann, are you there? 
Yes. Oh, yes. Um, I wanted to share two little stories. Uh, one was uh, uh, I used to, as I was growing up, I grew up in Kansas City, and my family, we would go to Eddie's and, uh, of course, eat and what have you. Well, when I got old enough to go on my own uh, dating, uh, we danced to Tony DePardo's orchestra. So, of course, I heard Marilyn May, and um, she was a, a very wonderful entertainer. And, of course, Tony's band was wonderful. We kind of knew some of the musicians in the group. And uh, that, that was a reflection that I wanted to make. But what I wanted to really tell you is I, about two weeks ago, somebody mentioned Jenny's Italian restaurant. And my husband... Uh, grew up, of course, in Kansas City, and his family would go down to Jenny's all the time. Well, in time, we married, had a little boy, and, of course, Tom wanted to take him down there and introduce him to Jenny because um, he loved her. She was a red-headed Italian. And so we took him down there, and he was a little past a year old. And the minute that she met him, she took him and put him in the high chair, and went to the kitchen and got a tea towel and tied it around his neck and brought out a plate of spaghetti. <laughs> no spoon, no spoon, no fork, nothing, just spaghetti. And that kid had spaghetti in his hair all over him on the floor. They put a, a tablecloth under so he could eat, and he had spaghetti everywhere, but he enjoyed it, and we will never forget that sight <laughs> because he enjoyed it, and Jenny just laughed and enjoyed it so much. And I wish Jenny's was still there. <laughs> yeah, it was a great restaurant, great yes, restaurant, the Borelli family. They're wonderful. Is there anybody the from the family people. still around? I have, no, I, I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know, but, boy, that Italian restaurants in this city, boy, there's some great ones. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that one was a great one, and and I'll never forget that that night because my little boy just enjoyed it so much, and Jenny enjoyed him, and that was exciting. I could tell you a lot of stories about Kansas City and St. Joe is uh, the Ru Hotel Rubidoux. Mm -hmm. uh, we used to go there too as a family, and so on. Well, I'll let you go. Well, thank you, Anne. I appreciate that. you calling in. Uh huh. Okay. Now, thank you. Now, I remember last week, was it last week, Toby, that somebody called in that I think he said that his mom was Jenny or his mom ran Jenny's. But he promised to send me an email who he was, but he never did. Hmm, that's too bad. Yeah. So if um, for listeners out there, if you know somebody uh, that the family that ran these restaurants or owned these restaurants, send me an email. My email is Robert at makethemsmile.com because I, I want to I sit down and hear these stories. Yes. I mean, just I could do this for hours. Okay, we're going to talk with Terry. All right. Good morning, Terry. Welcome to Kansas City Food Memories. Good morning. This is kind of off the subject, and I'm sure I missed it running in and out of the car. But uh, did you ever mention that it uh, used to be that we had Film Row here in Kansas City and Showarama, which brought in the stars, and it was really enormous for years. That's never come up. Yes, yep. it was Paramount, Warner Brothers, uh, National Screen. It was all down at 18th and Baltimore and yes. about four or five block, 
area. It was Universal Pictures, and you can tell I used to work there. And it just, we had Showarama. It was for all the theater owners in the Midwest who would come in. And because it was center of the United States, it drew everybody. And they would fly in motion picture people, stars. Clint Eastwood was, oh, I could go on and on and on. But anyway, it was a really big deal. So what was it? Was it just theaters or what? What was it that brought them all in? We had, no, we had Universal Pictures. We had, because back then, well, it was motion pictures. And they had uh, motion pictures where uh, the the film itself, they would have a company that would uh, drive them to the different theaters. There was Universal Pictures, Paramount Pictures, Fox, Warner Brothers. And then National Screen was right on the corner. It's a big red brick building. And they handled all the radio... um, Oh, the records. Back then it was mm-hmm. the uh, radio announcements. And the, and if you go to the drive-ins and you saw the previews, they would handle all those. It was, uh, it was film row. It was an enormous film row. So what decade are we talking about here? Uh, oh, it was 50s, 60s, really? 70s. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you remember this, Jim? Mm-hmm. Very much so. Sure. Oh, it was, all the movie oh. studios had uh, like a little office down in that exactly where this lady said they were. And, uh, right. Commonwealth Theaters had a screening room. We had to, and it was a tough job, but someone had to do it. I mean, you <laughs> had, I had to go see the movies before they show so I could uh, do my sales and everything to the theater owners. And many, many times uh, we would have to take the film from, I tried, you tried to book the theater, the movies in one group of uh, theaters owned by one company. So the, they were farmers, majority of them, and they opened up the theaters on week, excuse me, on weekends for the small towns. And once they were done, they would drive halfway, and the other theater owner would drive the other half to get the film to take it back. Huh. Well, this oh, it, is it was, this is fascinating. I did you know this, Toby? No. You've lived here your whole life and wasn't aware of that. Yeah, no. So I've got an excuse. I didn't move here till the till the eighties. They called it theater well, you row. You old to know about it. It was uh, film film row. It certainly mm-hmm. was, and it was oh, it was yeah, it was a it was a fun job. Someone had to do well, it. Good. I mean, it was hard work, but it was fun. Well, Terry, thank you for calling in. And you know what? Well, yeah. um, one of these days, if we get bored or if I run out of topics, I, I think it'd be fun just to. I don't know who else could do a show on this hmm. on film row. It might be fun. Oh, to, there's a, there's some left. There's uh, there's a few. Few of us. I mean, we're we're older, yeah. but they're still in, that are involved. It, not involved, but yeah, there's a few of us left. I there, think that, yeah. Well, Toby, we'll talk about. Well, uh, Terry, keep listening. Sign up for my emails and uh, shoot me oh, an email, okay. Robert at MakeThemSmile dot com. Oh, who you already. are, contact information. So if we get around to doing this, we'll get you involved with it. Okay, I just thought I'd blow off for a while. Well, well, thank you. All right, thank you, Terry. <laughs> Take care. So, Bye. So, Jim. So, I guess. The Eddie family was involved with that, with the, the lounge and the talent and everything else. Oh yeah! Oh boy, we we had so much fun, so much fun. I just got a text from my friend Padre Weris, Jerry Weris. He's a priest here, and he took me to a great place last night for dinner. And you get your backside to Southside, Southside Bar and Grill, 103rd and State Line. What a place. It's his niece and uh, her husband. And uh, great restaurant. I'll tell you what. Mm. 
there's so many places we could talk about. What a week I've had. I've eaten that practically every night. Well, good for you. All right, so let me uh, clear up a couple of things on the text line. Uh, Bright's is at the address is 412 North 5th Street in KCK. Mm-hmm. And I will look into that. I'll see if I can get out there to eat this week if there are open hours that that um, that I can go. So I'll give an update on that one. Uh, Boyles, as you know it, um, sold in 1995 to somebody else. So mm-hmm. the the brand name still exists, but not as yeah, you know it. Yeah, up in Iowa. Yeah, somewhere. I mean, it's not the same as it yep. was back when... Um, um, I think there's Bob Boyle and uh, Reg uh, Brumball. Yes, we're doing that back then. Absolutely. Yep. So a good friend of the program uh, gave me some updated information on that. And then um, somebody, I got two people. What was? Can you please repeat the name of the singer that Eddie's doesn't didn't think was good enough to put in their sh- in their um, show? And that was Barbara Streisand. <clears throat> so the Eddie family decided that Barbara Streisand wasn't worth showing. Yeah, biggest have, mistake. Playing their act. The biggest mistake <laughs> in the world. But, you know, you can't win them all. Oh, no. That, that makes you appreciate the victories, right? Yes, sir. All right. Absolutely. So you hit a home run with um, Marilyn May, but you struck out with um, Barbara Streisand. Yeah, I think you did okay with that. Yeah. That, that's boy, good. Oh boy. All right, so after you sold, um, or after um, the, the Arrowhead Club and working with the Chiefs, what was the franchise? Tell me the story that you had an opportunity for a franchise, mm-hmm. and you told me the story how you thought about not doing it. Well, my wife is from New Orleans, and that's how we got acquainted with Popeyes. It started in 1972, and no one knew what it was. All right, hold on. So everybody, note the time. It's 1046. It's the first time fried chicken was brought up on today's show. <laughs> We've only had one show where fried chicken didn't come up. All right, so Popeye's Fried Chicken. So we wanted to investigate it in 1985. We finally said we're out of the uh, Lofensteins and we're looking for something to do, and we were expanding the catering business and all. We were at Bartle Hall. So I said to my dad and my brother, we're going down there for Mardi Gras. We took our kids down to stay with our in-laws. And every year for Mardi Gras. So I said, I'll make an appointment with the Copelands who founded Popeyes and see if the Kansas City is available and what it would take to do it and so forth. So I did. And Bill Copeland said, Come to our convention in Lake Tahoe in March, talk to franchisees and see what you think. So Dad and I went out there and had their national convention and met a bunch of the franchisees. And they all just loved it. And we're happy, and it was growing and trying to gain reg- name recognition around the country. So we came back, and we told Mr. Copeland we'd like to become franchisees. So he said, I'm going to give you the five-county area exclusively, and uh, here's what's going to take dollars and cents to buy the exclusive rights. It's 1985, so we did. and We opened the first one, 6060 North Antioch, our first one in November of 1985, and uh, we had to get 10 of them open to get on entry-level television. That was the, you had to develop it, and you had a development schedule. And once you got it on entry-level television, you could build the market. And boy, it took us five years to get that many restaurants open. 
but once we did, we had the, the first five years were a struggle because nobody knew in this market what the heck Popeyes was. Because the mean, um, was Kentucky Fried Chicken around then? Oh, they big, were here first. Oh, they came. They were 1955. They were tremendous. Did you know the people who did the franchises for them? Uh, no, I didn't. Okay. But I know that as a competitor, they were great. KFC is a great product. Yeah. Churches was a great product. You know, there are competitions good. Anyway, we finally got on television, and boy, that just did it for Popeyes. It uh, once we got on TV here, entry level television, we started driving customers in, and it, it, then we really could grow. And uh, I was lucky to be on the franchise uh, board. We had a great franchise group, and for many many years. And my gig was the food department because I was in the restaurant business prior. And so I helped develop the biscuit that we had, and it was just Did the you really? greatest biscuit in the world. We were doing them by hand, yeah, rolling them out. I mean, you had to make 120 at a time. That was a rollout. And you'd have to waste them at night. Uh, you, you know, you, had to, you might have... 120 of them and use 20 of them in the last hour that you're open. Yeah. And you had to throw the rest of them away. As you yeah. know, you can't reuse right. it the next day. So we finally, my my uh, mission was to find a bakery somewhere in America that could duplicate these biscuits. So we did and finally found Lone Star Bakery in San Antonio. Uh-huh. I don't know how many flights I spent times in San Antonio at that bakery in the first year we worked on them they were hockey pucks they were awful 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 <laughs> finally we got it to where it was 99% as good as the hand rolled biscuit so I got permission to test them in our restaurants we had 12 restaurants at that time and uh, our standalone biscuit sales went through the roof and the problem was you couldn't get the your bakers the kids that work for you to be consistent making those biscuits as you well know as running a bakery you got to be consistent well anyway it worked and it became we got out of the rollout making biscuits from scratch in the whole Popeye system and Lone Star became and they were able to manufacture they were bulletproof they came in frozen you could cook them one at a time six minutes or a hundred at a time but you didn't have any waste at the end of the evening and you got rid of all yeah. that labor and so forth. It was unbelievable. All right, let me change the subject for a second. Take off your hat from the Popeyes. You know, as a foodie and a food person, do you think fried chicken today is as good as it was in the 80s and 90s? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Really? You, you go to RC's, for instance. Yeah. It's fabulous. Uh, when Stroud's one up north is still, what memories of Stroud's and the old one down right. Boots and coats that used to be on oh, yeah. 103rd and state line. No, that that's the reason I asked because fried chicken is the number one topic that comes up. I mean, that's people. I'd, I'd say fifty, at least fifty percent of all the food memories when we do open calls is of a restaurant that had fried chicken in the eighties oh, yeah. and nineties. And ninety percent of those people say that they can't find anything today that compares to the fried chicken we oh, used to get. There was a great place here that's been gone for years. The Green Parrot Inn was yeah. a State Line, and uh, Johnson Drive and Ward oh, yeah. Park up on the hill. Golly, what a place that was! I mean, yeah. it was there for years. I mean, years. there's there's at least a dozen major places that people still just they they miss the incredible fried chicken there. 
So why do you think it is so hard for restaurants or anybody to duplicate what we had back then? Toby, Toby and I think it's because of the quality of chickens. Yeah, I'm still, I don't know. I, I think you don't get the love and whatever you want to call it with the, some of the employees that are cooking this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when you really pan fry chicken as opposed to deep frying, right? like the sit-down restaurants that were famous for fried chicken, uh, there's a lot, lot to go into that. I mean, it's a painstaking, and you're cooking it fresh, like at Stroud's, for instance. Yeah, you can't take shortcuts. No, and a lot of places try and take shortcuts. You can't do it. Yeah, the franchise business, KFC, Popeyes, and all, they developed a pretty doggone good system for cooking chicken. Right. Uh, but deep frying it. Right. Because of the time element and so forth, and uh, you got to thank them for that. The fast food business, a lot of people make fun of it. The guy Ray, Ray Kroc, right? He was a genius. I mean, he, there's, there's he a place for that. He revolutionized the food business. There's he, a, there's a place for the fast food hamburgers. There's sure. a place for Popeyes even today. But but I mean, not everybody has the time to go to a, a the original Strouds and sit wait for thirty forty minutes. Yeah. You know, yeah. same thing with Chicago pizza. You know, you buy a deep dish pizza from Geno's. It's forty five fifty minutes. I'll tell you, we could sit and talk about. The things Ray Kroc did for this yeah. business. We used to plan our trips, car trips, to stop at a McDonald's if you were oh, going to yeah. eat just to get a clean bathroom. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. he's he, this man, I could go on for an hour and a half yeah. talking about all the things that the McDonald's did for our country and the, the cleanliness and so forth yeah. originally. And it's because of the health problems today, it's not quite the same. But yeah. that man revolutionized the food business. Yeah, you professionalized it, professionalized oh. and systemized it. You know, it's all about great, systems. Great operator. Like you great. mentioned earlier, repeatability. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can't if you can't consistently repeat the quality of the biscuits, it doesn't really matter. But you know, on back to the fried chicken, we had John Francis. I don't know if you remember that. It was you, over in Overland Park. Oh, tremendous. We had uh, John Francis. It was his dad and, and grandfather that started John Francis, but mm-hmm. he grew up working in there and worked there until they sold that. But it, but he talked about the custom fryer that was made. Yes, you know that was made just for them for the franchises. That that was chicken in the rough. Mm-hmm. Chicken in the rough. But but it, but he talked about how critical it was to pan fry it and not deep fry it. You mm-hmm. know where the the piece of chicken's only half submerged. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was it was. I, you got to keep turning them. Oh yeah, you know, and he talked about how it was deep in one end, shallow on the other, so mm-hmm. you could cook. I think two hundred pieces of chicken at once. You know, the wings and legs on the far right hand mm-hmm. side, you know, the thighs in the middle and the breasts on the other side. But, you know, that's sometime I want to do a whole show just on fried chicken logistics. And I want to see if we can find some expert that can talk about the 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 product, you know, the quality of the chicken. Because factory chickens, you know, they, mm-hmm. you know, the factory, um, a chicken that, that that's harvested for that, that you eat can be as short as 35 days. Oh, from the dime of the egg. Yeah. To the time the chicken yep. goes to yep. have their head cut off, yeah. 35 days. Yeah. That's the life of a chicken. Yeah. And, you know, back, I looked up back in the um, 70s and 80s, it was about 55 to 60 days. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and, uh, you, can't, you can't convince me that that doesn't affect the taste. You know, well, that's, and they, they've genetically working these chickens yeah. now that they have bigger breasts, yeah. if you will, yeah. 
Because the breast has become the most popular. So I, I want to do a show, and I want to see if I can get um, Colby Garlitz from Rye, because he does a high-end chicken, but mm-hmm. he buys a chicken from, um, they're Amish chickens from Ohio. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, but mm-hmm. it's just, I know some people complain that they they don't have huge breasts. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not mutant chickens, but they're real chickens. Yeah. Well, so later on, we'll do that, and I'll, I might bring, see if you're interested in coming in and sure, doing that. Sure, So we have a, just a couple minutes left, Jim. Is there mm-hmm. any story or anything you wanted to say to I, your... Just, Remembering some of the great Italian restaurants, mm-hmm. and the one that I dearly loved was Catano's. Okay, Ed Bruni, and he used to every Saturday night he had a standing reservation at Thirteenth and Baltimore for the second show. Six people every Saturday night. He and his wife and the other four, four people with him. They were just the greatest. I miss Gaetano's. We've got Garozos and uh, Jaspers today. We miss Italian gardens. We, The Italian restaurants in this city, over the years, we could talk a whole show or a half or two shows about the great Italian oh, restaurants and, and we in Kansas City. I'm telling you what, they were the best. I mean, we, there's some that are gone. There's some that are still here that managed to pull off the transition to modern day yeah. and keep the classic. I just still want to have Jasper on sometime to tell his story of his dad and what they've accomplished. But Jim, I'm going to give you, I want to give you a challenge. I want you to go find somebody that you worked with back, back in those days. That was a legend in the restaurant business. That's no longer, the restaurant's not around. I want you to find me a couple of those people and bring them in studio here. Because there's some people with stories that deserve to be heard. And I, that's, that's important to Toby and I, I mean, we, that's, You've got some great stories, and I know I know you know some people that have some as well that 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 many of us haven't heard. I want to do that for me. We got to find Dick May and Ken Hill from Gilbert Robinson. Yep, I'm working on. We're going to do about three or four shows in a row just on the whole Gilbert Robinson thing. Oh, I'm working on that. What a what an outfit! Phenomenal, phenomenal. Well, good. Well, we'll do that. So. Uh, that's a serious serious challenge to you. I'll go to work on it. I mean, you find them, you vouch for them. They're here. I'll, I'll save him a seat for um, a seat and a microphone. We'll tell the stories. We'll get. We him. can do that. Toby, what do you think? This has showed now been three months. Number fourteen. What are your thoughts? This was an awesome show. It was good, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I had no idea oh. everything they got involved in. Yeah, and the, an amazing family. Yes. Yeah. You know, and that, that's what makes it interesting is that yeah. some kids run, run run from it. That's it. Is that it? Yes. Jim, thank you for being here. Pleasure. Thank you very much. See you next Saturday. Okay. This concludes this broadcast of Kansas City Food Memories.